Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I am excited to be kicking off our series, our journey really through the book of John. Uh, so this is week one. We're going to be making our way through the, the book of John for the foreseeable future. Uh, right now the plan is we will uh, go through John up until about Thanksgiving, then around Thanksgiving we'll take a break uh, for Advent, and then in the new year we are going to pick right back up with the book of John. So we'll probably do half uh, of John this year, and then the next half uh, of John in the, the first half of 2021. So uh, Lord willing, that's the plan. Uh, we're excited about it. Uh, so John is one of four Gospels, uh, so which is an account of the life of Jesus. There's Matthew, Mark. Luke and John are the four uh, different Gospels in the Bible. And when I say Gospel, I mean little G Gospel. I'm not talking about the big G Gospel. Um, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they all tend to follow the same pattern. Uh, but John differs from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in several uh, different ways. Uh, first of all, uh, we'll just uh, I'll give you a few of them uh, of the differences. Uh, John has no narrative parables. It's one thing that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have that John doesn't. Uh, Many stories in the synoptics, like Jesus' baptism, for example, are not found in John. Uh, John doesn't record uh, Jesus' baptism. But John has a lot of material that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. Not a lot. It has some material that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. Like uh, John chapters 2 to 4 is all unique to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't record uh, Jesus turning water into wine. Uh, They don't record the the interaction between uh, Jesus and Nicodemus or between Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. So the, the point is that all of these four Gospels, all four of these Gospels are an eyewitness account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and they are all uh, told by a specific person written to a specific group of people at a specific time and place in history. So they all have a context. So just as if, like, say you witnessed an event go down, like, a, you know, a crime or something like that, you and four other, three other people around you, and they came and they took statements from you, and you wrote down your statement you would all record what, you know, according to you, according to your eyes, what you saw take place. It would all be the same story, but it might differ uh, according to the context, maybe from your vantage point. Maybe you had a different vantage point that uh, somebody else didn't have, and you saw something they didn't, and vice versa. And that's kind of how we can understand the the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, It's pretty clear that John wrote his gospel originally with an eye towards reaching Jewish background people. And as we go through this series, we'll, we'll see why that is, and, and we'll show you that. Um, it, I think that John was, it was intending to reach both believers and non-believers uh, who had a Jewish background. And it's really not hard to figure out what John's purpose was in writing Uh, the book of John, because he tells us, actually, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, uh, he gives us the purpose. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is writing to give eyewitness testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior sent by God who died and rose so that sinners could have eternal life. And his greatest desire, and my great desire, is that you would have life in his name. Now, it would be a mistake to assume, though, that this book is just for non-believers, because it's not. First of all, as Christians, we need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. Like the hymn says, we're prone to wonder, right? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Psalm 119, verse 37 prays, Turn my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life by your word. The word of God in the gospel of John arrests our attention and fixes our eyes on the glory of Jesus Christ so that we would be amazed. So that we would see that Jesus is the bread of life who satisfies. He's the fountain of living water from, from, from whom when we drink we'll never thirst again. He is the way, the truth, 
and the life. The book of John is filled with wonders and glorious truths about God. So for Christians, journeying through the book of John will, Lord willing, be a rich, faith-increasing experience that will feed your soul. That will help you to fix your eyes on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. And that's my prayer for us as a church as we walk through the book of John in, in the coming months. And one thing I hope you'll do as we walk through the book of John is follow along with us in our, our Bible reading plan. One of our values at Pillar DC is the Bible. That means that everything that we do, we are going to do it according to God's Word. We believe that the Word of God is inerrant, that it is perfect, and we are a Bible-believing people. And we want you to read your Bibles at home. It's how you come to know God more, and it's how you come to grow spiritually. We want you to know Jesus and to make Him known. And so we have created a Bible reading plan so that corresponds with our series in John that will walk you through uh, the book of John and some other supplementary books of the Bible bit by bit. And so you can read along with us at home and then, Lord willing, uh, the teaching on Sunday mornings will help reinforce what you are reading about throughout the week. And I also know that the, the ladies, the women's ministry, and I think even a couple of the other small groups are also going to be walking through John in correlation with our reading plan uh, throughout the week. So I hope that you'll pick one of those up at the info table if you haven't gotten one on the way out. It's also online, by the way. If you're watching online, you can get it under the resources tab uh, at the website. So I hope that you'll do that with us. Now, we're going to go ahead and uh, get into the text. We're going to be, we're just doing the first five verses of chapter one this morning. We're going to be in John chapter one, verses one to five. So let's go ahead, open your Bibles, turn there uh, if you haven't already. And the words are also going to be on the screen here. Uh, behind me as well. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Here's what the Word of God says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> those, I pray that you would help me now, because what we just read is just mind-boggling, explosive, life-shattering truth. We, we will spend an eternity just uncovering the, the riches of what's there just in those five verses. The natural man cannot understand the things of God for they are spiritually discerned. And so, God, we need your help now. Holy Spirit, please help us to listen to your voice. Help give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us soft, malleable, humble hearts this morning. Speak to us, O oh God. I pray for every single person in this room, especially for those that are not born again. Maybe there are some in this room who are defiant against you. Maybe there's some in this room who are angry at you and don't want to believe in you and they've been suppressing the truth. Maybe there are some in this room who've, like I used to be for, for 24 years, who've thought that they've believed in you their entire lives, but they honor you with their lips while their hearts are far from you. God, I pray that, that no matter what the case is, that today would be the day of salvation for everyone in this room who is not born again. That today, oh God, that, that every single person in this room would see that Jesus, you are the word of God. That they would humble themselves before you as they encounter your glory and your majesty and the, just the miracle of the incarnation this morning. God, help me as I preach. I can't, I can't change a single person. Lord, my opinions don't matter. Your word is what has power. So I pray that as your word is read, help me to explain it. Help me to teach it and to apply it well. 
God, keep me from saying anything that's not from you. And help us all to listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So in these first five verses right here, John puts all of his cards on the table right at the outset. John, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 are what's called the prologue to the book of John. And really, in the prologue, John kind of lays out most of his major arguments that he's going to unpack throughout the remainder of the book. He's going to give testimony and give witness to the, to the things, to the truths that he is setting forth here in these first 18 verses. And in the first five verses, we get some of the most massive ones. We get some incredibly explosive truths here that we're going to walk through. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's John saying there? He's saying that Jesus is God. How do we know that the Word is Jesus? We know that several ways, but I'll point you to verse 14. A few verses later, John says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we saw a moment ago, John's primary goal in writing is to give you a mountain of eyewitness testimony to support this claim so that you can believe and be saved. You know, Christianity is often condescendingly dismissed as irrational or in opposition to science. Many seem to think that Christianity operates on a sort of blind faith. This simply isn't true. There is a mountain of evidence that Jesus lived, performed miracles, claimed to be God, died on a Roman cross, and rose from the dead. The Gospel of John is structured in such a way to highlight that evidence. It's built around uh, what's called the seven signs and seven I am statements of Jesus. So there are seven times in the book of John where John... Uh, tells of a miraculous sign that Jesus performed clearly pointing to his deity. In other words, something that Jesus did that there's no way he could have done this unless he was God. So these signs attest to the fact that Jesus is God. And then there's also seven very explicit I am statements, meaning where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or I am the bread of life, where Jesus clearly claims to be God seven different times, seven I am statements, Seven signs. And the Gospel of John is structured around these clear statements and proofs from Jesus' life that all attest to the truthfulness of John's claim that Jesus is God, the promised Messiah. As we're going to talk about a little bit this week and also in, in two weeks, I'll pick it up as well, the theme of Jesus being the light of the world, the light shining in the darkness. Um, John goes on to say in verse 9, he says, uh, the true light, uh, which, uh, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So in several ways here, in John chapter 1, John is making clear that the word, that the life, that the light of the world is Jesus of Nazareth, who came in the flesh and walked and dwelt among us. He is God. There's a, a not-so-subtle belief in culture today that we can't really know truth. I've often encountered people when I'm sharing the gospel who believe we cannot know for sure what God is like or how to get to Him. The general belief is that we all just need to find our own way. Like everyone is on their own journey, and we'll all get there in the end, whether that's through Jesus or Muhammad or Zen meditation or our own good works. But John chapter 1 verses 1 to 18, really the entire book of John says, no, no, we can know God. We can know truth. In fact, Jesus, the word of God, has come in the flesh and made himself known. So for the rest of our time, we're going to unpack John 1, 1 to 5, to see who he is. What is he like? We're going to look at the identity of the Word of God and the activity of the Word of God. In other words, who is he? 
and what did he come to do? Who is he and what did he come to do? So let's start with that first question. Who is Jesus? Who is this word of God? It's important to note that John begins his gospel where the synoptics don't. John begins at creation. You notice that? Both Matthew and Luke begin their gospels at Jesus' birth, and Mark begins the gospel of Mark at the start of Jesus' public ministry. But John starts all the way back at the beginning. In fact, he even echoes the words of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, what does Genesis 1-1 say, church? In the beginning, God created, come on, help me out. There we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does John 1-1 say? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Why does John start his gospel all the way back at creation? Because John has a distinct point he wants to make. John wants us to understand the unique relationship between Jesus and God the Creator. And if there's anything that John stresses in these first three verses, it's that the word, Jesus, is not created. Look at how often he emphasizes this. He says, verse 1, in the beginning was the word, meaning like all the way back before time started. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that has been made. So if the word was not made, but rather is he's the one who made all things, then what does that tell us about the Word? It tells us that the Word is God. John says as much in verse 1. He says, the Word was with God and the Word was God. John Piper summarizes it like this. He says, Christ was not made. This is what it means to be God. And the Word was God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we read that the angels and the elders and the living creatures sit before the throne of Jesus singing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Everything that was made, from the mightiest star to the tiny little grub worm, was made by Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what's more amazing, that by His very voice, God caused life and light to be created just by His conversation with Himself, or that the one who created it became flesh and dwelt among us, pitched His tent, moved into our neighborhood, and just came and dwelt among us. What's more amazing? It's hard for me to even figure out. We will continue to see Jesus' clear authority over nature as the creator throughout the book of John. As he commands the wind and the waves to be still, and as he multiplies fish and bread to feed the people by the word of his command. The identity of Jesus as God is the foundational truth of Christianity. It's the confession upon which the church is built. If Pillar DC or any other church ever swerves from it, we cease to be a church. May we as a church never shrink from declaring boldly that Jesus, the Word, is God. Don't take this truth for granted, church. Don't, I, I, it's easy to hear that and go, yeah, yeah, I know that already. I know that Jesus is God. But I'm telling you... <laughs> Many, many, many false gospels depart right here at this juncture because the gospel hinges on this truth that Jesus is God, not just a prophet, not just a great man, not just similar to God. Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, today, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Muslims, and others have a big problem with John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. So they have to try to change the words. They'll say sometimes like, no, the original Greek should read that the word was with God and the word was a God. 
They explain away the deity of Jesus and the entire witness of the book of John and of Scripture with an indefinite article. Just that little A right there. These kinds of attacks on the, on the deity of Jesus and distortions of Scripture are not new. One of the earliest heresies was called uh, Arianism. A teacher named Arius claimed that there was a time when the Son was not, meaning that Jesus was created. There was a time when Jesus did not exist and he was created. So Arius believed that Jesus, while divine, was not of the same substance as the Father. He was a greater form of a created being. He would have, Arius would have said, Jesus is great. He's mighty. He's worthy of worship. There, you, know, you know, he would have said, I have high regard for Jesus. And today, Muslims will say the same things. Mormons will say the same thing. Jehovah's Witness will say the same things. They'll say, oh, we love Jesus. We think Jesus was a great prophet. We think Jesus was sent from God. But they deny the deity of Jesus, and by doing so, they belittle him, church. We can't deviate on this doctrine. We cannot deviate on this truth that Jesus Christ is God. Because you see, if Jesus is not God, then not only does it make him out to be a liar, but he is an insufficient Savior. Only an infinitely perfect sacrifice could pay for an infinite sin debt against a perfectly holy God. The deity of Jesus Christ is a hill that the church of Jesus Christ must be willing to die on. Let's not take this doctrine for granted. By the way, if you ever have someone say to you that, you know, John chapter 1 actually says that Jesus is a God, you don't have to know Greek or, and all that stuff to try to be able to defend it. Just take them right to verse 3 and point out to them what verse 3 clearly says. It reads, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus, the word, was not made. Because everything that was made was made through him, which means that he wasn't made. So right there in John chapter 1, verse 3, you've got clear proof and clear refutation of this idea that the original Greek text said that Jesus is a God. It doesn't. Jesus is the Word. Not only does John 1, 1 to 5 tell us that Jesus is God, John also says the Word was with God. Do you notice that? What do we do with that? It seems to be an unsolvable contradiction, doesn't it? How can Jesus be God and be with God at the same time. This is where the doctrine of the Trinity comes in. If you thought your mind was stretched trying to imagine Jesus having no beginning and no end, well, get ready. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches that the Lord is one God and three persons. Jesus is not amongst a trio of gods. He is God, and the Father is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. But Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is not the Spirit. So Jesus is God, and yet Jesus is distinct from the Father and from the Holy Spirit. And Scripture unapologetically puts forward these dual realities and doesn't seem to have a problem with their seeming contradiction. Why? Because God is God, and we're not. Just as we cannot fathom the, the idea of no beginning, we cannot fully fathom how God is one and yet three persons. Because we are finite. He is supernatural. We are natural. We cannot wrap our minds around God. The doctrine of the Trinity ought to humble us as we become fully aware that God's ways and thoughts are far higher than ours. We, we, we should feel a little bit kind of like insufficient for these things when we begin to think about God. It, if you could fully comprehend God, then He's not really that as great as He says He is. The very fact that we can't even fully comprehend Him, that we can't even fathom Him, should cause us to worship, should cause us to, to hit our knees and say, God, you are God in heaven and I am here on earth. Each person of the Trinity has the same will, 
the same desires and the same glory, and yet they each play different roles. God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect union and relationship with Himself. In each person, Father, Son, and Spirit has unique roles. But what is Jesus' role as the Son? Jesus, as the Word who created all things and who came and dwelt among us, is God's self-expression. He reveals the Father. And this kind of leads us into the activity of the Word. We've talked about the identity of the Word. Who is He? Who is Jesus? Let's talk about the activity of the Word. What did He come to do? John's name for Jesus here that he uses, and it's one of many names that he'll use for Jesus throughout the book of John, but this one, the Word, tells us a lot about what Jesus came to do. As the Word, Jesus' role is to reveal God to us. Um, Andreas Kostenberger is a Bible scholar and commentator, and he puts it like this. He says, John's argument here is that the Word, as God's creative agent, constituted an extension of God's own person as the one through whom God's creative power became effective. Ultimately, therefore, God the Creator and the Word through which He created are inseparable. And according to John, they share the same identity while at the same time being distinct. So it's kind of like, just as as your words are an expression of who you are, so Jesus reveals the Father. Except one of the huge differences is that while we can lie, we can mislead by our words, and we can misrepresent ourselves, God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. God is the very essence of truth, and so everything that God says is truth. He is the standard of truth. So when God speaks, we have truth. Okay? Does that make sense? We can't separate the Word of God from the person of God. Okay? That's why Jesus is distinct from the Father, and yet the Jesus and the Father are one. That Jesus is going to say in John 14, 9, I and the Father are one. The Word <clears throat> revealed the Father, first of all, in His act of creation. Chad read this earlier in Psalm 33, 6. It says, By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all of their host. So in doing so, the Word revealed God's beauty, revealed God's glory, His power, His majesty in all that is made. From the huge mountains to the miracle of a beating heart, all of it is meant to reveal God. That is why everything was made, including you, except you were made with the unique capacity to not only reveal God, but to know Him. God created you so that you could look upon all the things that God has made and it would direct your hearts to Him in worship. Not so that you'd worship what He's made, but so you would worship the Maker. That's where sin has caused everything to go wrong. We look at these glorious things that God has made and we go, ooh, those are nice over there. I think I'm going to look to this to fill my life. I'm going to look to that to fill my life. That's called sin. That's idolatry. God made everything as a declaration of His glory. Psalm 19, 1 and 2 puts it even more clearly. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Do you see how creation is speaking, is declaring the word of God? And it's the Word of God, Jesus Christ, who created all things. And not only did, does the Word uh, reveal God in creation, but the Word reveals God in the way that He upholds creation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Did you know that the only reason that this planet doesn't just spin off into oblivion and we don't just fall apart into anarchy is because Jesus right now is upholding all things by the word of his power? Did you know that the reason that your heart is still beating right now in your chest is because Jesus Christ, by the word of his power, is telling it to beat every single time? Every breath you take, Jesus is telling your breath to breathe every single time. 
He's the giver of life, and He's the sustainer of life. And it's meant to point you back to God and worship. Every breath that you breathe, we ought to be pouring back in praise to God. Because all of it should be a testimony, evidence to the fact that He is the one who made all things. He made us to worship Him. That's what it's all about, guys. That's what it's all about. But Jesus didn't just reveal God in creation. He doesn't just reveal God in upholding creation. He most fully has revealed God in His incarnation. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the revelation of God to man. He came to show us who God is. At the Last Supper, Philip, one of the twelve disciples, after Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Like, let us see the Father, and, and, and that's enough for us. And Jesus looks in, at Philip and goes, Philip, have I been with you so long, three years, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. God is not unknowable. While we cannot fully fathom Him, and there is mystery He has not locked himself in a closet. He is not off in a corner. He is not in the dark. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. He literally came and walked on the planet. Hebrews 1, 1 1-2 puts it like this. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. And what has God said to us by the Son? What has God said? God speaks through the Son not only in what Jesus said, but in who Jesus was. And in what Jesus did. He associated with sinners. With the lowly. He had compassion on the sick. And the suffering. This is God we're talking about. Okay. He patiently endured suffering himself. As the master he served and washed the feet of his disciples. He commanded nature and it obeyed. He commanded demons and they fled. He cured sickness and disease. He raised the dead to life. He forgave those who killed him on the cross. That is what God is like. God's word to sinners who consistently defy and deny him is one of grace. John will say later in chapter 3, verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through Him might be saved. Do you, do you see this? God's first word, God's word to us isn't one of, of condemnation and one of judgment. When God chose to most fully and completely reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, what God showed us about himself is exactly what he said all the way back in Exodus. When he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving the iniquity of the children of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Sorry, I messed that up. You guys know that. Amen. That's who God is. Does the picture that you have in your mind of God match up with Jesus? And perhaps you've imagined God as harsh and unforgiving with a short fuse and difficult to please. Is that what you think of when you think of God? Like he's just disappointed in you? Like he's just ready to like drop you like a hot rock the next time you mess up? Does that match with what we see in the person of Jesus? Or maybe 
you think that God is a lot like you. He just wants you to be happy, and while he's kind of disappointed in your sin, it'll be okay. It'll all be good. You'll get to heaven somehow. Friends, this is one of the reasons that Jesus came, to, to, to correct our distortions of who God is. In Jesus, we see that God is perfectly holy. He will not accept worship from the lips of those whose hearts are far from him. And yet in Jesus, we see that he is gentle and lowly. He has great patience and grace for sinners who know that they fall short. At the cross, the indescribable love of God was displayed as Christ died for his enemies, for sinners like us who have again and again turned against him. The cross is the ultimate expression of who God is. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus, the one who has revealed himself as the word of God in John 1, 1 to 5? If you don't, you can know him today. You can confess your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life and to change you and make you a new creation this morning, and he'll do it. You don't have to try to fix your life up. You don't have to try to get yourself right first. You don't have to, you know, get things together. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for, I, for it is easy and my burden is light. Now, Jesus did not only come to reveal the Father. That wasn't the only thing that Jesus came to do. He also came to give life and to destroy darkness. And I want to just briefly, I'm going to expound on this theme of light and darkness much more in two weeks, but I didn't want to completely ignore it this week. Um, so briefly look with me at verses four and five. It says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this mention of light in the darkness is no accident. Like I said earlier, John is drawing heavily from Genesis chapter 1. Now at creation, if you'll remember, Genesis 1, the first thing God created is light. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus, as the word of God, separated physical darkness from physical light in Genesis chapter 1. And Jesus, as the word of God, separates spiritual darkness from spiritual light now. Amen. John chapter 1 and today. Jesus came as the light to defeat and drive out the forces of spiritual darkness. And the darkness has not overcome him. Darkness certainly tried. Certainly tried to overcome him. For three days, it appeared as though the darkness had overcome the light of the world. Jesus was crucified on a cross, was in a tomb for three days. We know that the darkness tried to overcome him because right before he betrayed Jesus over to the authorities, it says that Satan entered into Judas. And it appeared that for three days that the darkness had overcome the light. But on that glorious Sunday morning, when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb... The stone was rolled away, and there was a glorious light that shone around her. Jesus, the light of the world, conquered the darkness of death and sin at his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection showed that the darkness of sin and death would not win. Those who have trusted in Jesus are victorious in him. His resurrection proved that he paid our sin debt in full, and it, and it secured eternal life on our behalf. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is our declaration today. The darkness still hasn't overcome the light of the world, and it never will. It doesn't matter how much persecution is put on the church. It doesn't matter how much people try to silence the gospel. The darkness will not overcome the light. Is this true in your life, or are you still in spiritual darkness? I urge you to come to Jesus this morning if you have not. He's extending grace to you. 
Friends, if you die without trusting in Jesus Christ, you will remain in spiritual darkness, separated from God for eternity. But if you confess and repent of your sins this morning, you will be forgiven and receive eternal life. That's what God wants for you. If you will simply respond to his invitation, if you hear his word this morning. We've talked about the identity of Jesus and the activity of Jesus this morning. Jesus is the word of God who came to reveal the Father to us and to destroy spiritual darkness. What does this mean for us as a church? Well, really, it comes back to our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by helping people know Jesus and make Him known in D.C. and around the world. Since God has made Himself known in the person of Jesus Christ, then we are to know Him and to make Him known. Are those the top two priorities in your life? Knowing Jesus and making Him known? Really think about it. Where is your time going? Where is your talent going? Where is your money going? Where is your your free time going? Where is your energy going? Because if you claim to be a Christian, and those two things are not the top priorities in your life, then your priorities are out of order. (laughs) Because that's why you were created. You were created to know Jesus. And to make him known. That's why you're here. Jesus came so that you could know and worship God. So make it your main priority each day to do that. Start in the Bible. It's called the Word of God for a reason. Just as God has spoken to us in Jesus, He speaks to us through His Word. This Word. Jesus said in John 5.39, He said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them... You have life, and it's the Scriptures that bear witness about me. We can't separate the Bible from Jesus, okay? Like, when the Bible speaks, Jesus speaks. The Word speaks. Just an interesting kind of thing here that you may not have known, but in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, the Ten Commandments, uh, the word for the Ten Commandments are the Ten Logi which is where we get the Greek word logos. That's the word. In John 1, it's the same word for the Ten Commandments. It's the same word we have here when it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word. Isn't that interesting? That John uses the same Greek word for the Ten Commandments as he does for Jesus. My point is that when Scripture speaks, Jesus speaks. God's word is living and active. So seek him in it. This is also why we emphasize personal discipleship at Pillar DC. We want to equip you to know God. We aren't meant to follow Jesus alone. Like We need accountability. And we need help understanding God's word and applying it to our lives. Our desire as, as, as elders here at the church is that every single one of you would be in a personal discipleship relationship, regularly meeting with another believer here at Jesus Christ. Really, that you'd have two relationships. Number one, somebody who's regularly pouring into you. And number two, somebody that you are regularly pouring into. Every single Christian needs those two relationships in their life. And that's our desire for you. So if you don't have that going on right now, then I want you to come and talk to us afterwards. Or fill it out on that little connect card. There's got, it's got a space there where it says you can indicate, I'm interested in personal discipleship. And we will get you plugged in. We will get you connected. But start doing that today. Make that a priority in your life if you haven't done it yet. You can come talk to me, Pastor Thomas, Pastor Chad, Pastor Orion, any of us, and we'll, we'd love to help you. Now, also, not only do we need to know Jesus, we need to make him known. You guys know um, I quote John twenty twenty one all the time, a lot of times at the close of the service. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Well, what did the Father send the Son to do? To make Him known. What is the Son sending us to do? Make Him known. That's right. Every disciple is called to do that by proclaiming the gospel. Do you see the incompatibility of claiming to believe something like what we have read this morning and then not sharing it with the people around you? That doesn't make any sense. Like if we actually believe that this is true, that 
God, who created everything, came and dwelt among us, and then died on a cross for our sins, and then rose from the dead, and that He's the only way to salvation, and apart from Him, people are going to perish forever in eternity, then is there really a higher priority in our lives than to go and tell other people that good news? Just go tell them. There are people all over the place that believe lies about who God is. I got to share this morning, right before church started, with three young Muslim men who were visiting here from Orlando. And we got to sit out there and talk for a long time. And they were ta- talking to me about how they believe that Jesus is a great prophet, that he was from God. Oh, yes, you know, we, we believe that. And I got to share with them the gospel and explain to them how, no, Jesus is God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We're, we're surrounded by people who've never heard that before. People who don't know. If this is true, then we must tell people. We need to tell employees at this hotel. We need to tell the waiter at the restaurant. We need to tell our friends. We need to tell our family members. We need to tell our coworkers. One of my desires as your pastor is that each of you would leverage your lives in such a way that you would make every life decision for the greatest kingdom impact. We've got a lot of young people in this church, a lot of young adults in this church. A lot of you are either still in school or you're fresh out of school. You're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life, what you're going to leverage it for. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to move? What career path am I going to take? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to go back to school? What am I going to do with this leisure time I've got? Let me ask you a question. What if your highest priority in making those decisions wasn't financial security or living in the part of the country that you want to settle down in or working your way up the corporate ladder, but asking, will this help me make more disciples and share Jesus more? Will this career path help me do that? Will moving to this city help me do that more? Will marrying this woman or marrying this man help me be a more effective disciple maker, make a bigger kingdom impact? What would happen if you made all of your decisions in light of that question? We want to equip you to do that. That's our desire as a church. We we don't want to just sit around and play church for a couple of years while you're here and then you go move on and do something else and nothing really changes from your life. We want when people come to Pillar D.C., and when they become a part of this church, we want to help you know Jesus and make him known. And then we want to send you out if God calls you away so that you can go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, knowing that Jesus is with you always, even to the end of the age, as you fix your eyes not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, as you place your hope in heaven and in eternity and not in the things that are going to fade away. That's our desire for you because that's what matters, guys. This life is a vapor. Don't live for the American dream. Don't live for the things that are going to pass away. Leverage your life for the gospel. Say, here I am, send me. I'll go anywhere, do anything, and give up anything you call me to for the rest of my life, Jesus. If you want to do that and you find in your heart, your heart is singing and saying, yeah, I want to do that, then come and talk to us and tell us, we'll get you there. We'll help you do it. That's what we're here for. Hey, on the second and fourth Fridays of every month, we're going to start doing outreach nights. We're going to go out and share the gospel. We're going to do evangelism. So if you're finding yourself saying, well, we want to make disciples. I don't know how. Well, start coming with us. We'll teach you. I'll take you out personally if you want to go out. And we'll go out together and you can watch me. I'm sure that the other elders would do the same thing. we got a lot of other brothers and sisters in our church that would do the same thing. For some of you, you need to decide this morning whether or not you are truly all in. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Do you actually believe John 1, 1 to 5 or not? Jesus says to anyone who wants to be a Christian, follow me and I will teach you to become fishers of men. That's our desire for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up, and um, in a moment I'm going to close this up with a time of prayer. As they're coming up, I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes in your seat, and 
if God is speaking to you this morning, then you know it. You know it. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you over something, maybe there's an area of your life where you haven't been obeying Him in. Maybe you're realizing, you know what, I've been trying to call my own shots in my life, and I've been trying to make decisions without filtering them through what's going to make the biggest kingdom impact, and I'm, I'm through doing that. I want to follow Him. I want to be all in. Then I want you to just take time, and I want you to, to, to share that with the Lord this morning. Do business with God right there in your seat. If you need to confess sin to him, confess sin. If you need to ask him for help, ask him for help. If you need to make a commitment to him, make a commitment. Take a few moments and just pray in your seat. Maybe you, um, maybe you have, yeah, you're realizing this morning, you know what, I'm not sure if I've ever been a, real, a true follower of Jesus. I have been going to church, or I've said I was a Christian, or I thought I was a Christian, but Jared, I'm not sure if I've ever really made the commitment to follow him and to put my trust in him fully. You can do that today in your seat. You can make that decision to follow Jesus. And if you do, I want to encourage you to come and, and talk to me or talk to one of us afterwards and share with us that you've done that and that you've made that decision so that we can help you take these next steps in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. God, I, I, th I thank you that you didn't send your, send your son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. God, when you came to a sin-soaked world that was defiant against you and worshiping and serving the things that you created rather than the creator, though we justly deserve condemnation and death instead what you did is you came into the world and you took that that wrath that death in our place you came to die on the cross for your people you demonstrated your great love at the cross you revealed to us that what scripture says about God is true, that you are abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that you save to the uttermost. Jesus, we worship you this morning. You are worthy of all of our praise. You are worthy of every bit of our lives. You are worthy of us laying down our career aspirations and our finances and our future marriages and everything about our lives. You are worthy, God. You are so worthy. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's stand and let's sing together.